Dear listeners, welcome to the Create to Heal podcast, where we have conversations from the heart about life and leadership. Each episode, we explore what creativity and healing means to our invited guests. We invite people from all walks of life to join us, from all industries and all experiences. We always use poetry and creativity to engage audience participation. We look forward to connecting with you and sharing your gems of joy. Hey, everyone. I'm Patricia Varga. And I'm Melody Wong. And we are your co-hosts. Welcome to another episode of the Create the Heal podcast. In this episode, we're excited to be speaking with our incredible guest from Santa Fe, New Mexico, Dr. Vittorio Victor Lacerba. So I have been reviewing Victor's incredible career and I know he's, I've always known he's exceptional at what he does, but looking back, I've been completely reminded of the incredible work he's been doing, particularly on violence prevention and wellness issues. He is one of the founders of the men's wellness movement. He has done documentaries and written on children's mental health issues. And he even has done a PBS special with Bill Moyers, a series on preventing violence, which was broadcast nationally. And even after the, um, after the Columbine shootings, he consulted with the community. Victor cares incredibly deeply about social justice and preventing violence. Victor, clearly your work is needed now more than ever. Thank you for joining us. Uh, more about your background, please. Uh, well, not much more to say. Uh, I, I think it's better <laughs> that we just kind of get into the meat of the topic, uh, so to speak. But um, thank you for putting this together. Clearly, creativity and healing are such important aspects of everyone's lives. And um, I've enjoyed listening to at least your first podcast in terms of the breadth and depth of exploration that's possible with those things. Well, Melody and I don't both believe wholeheartedly in creativity. Creativity leads to healing and it's all connected to the divine in some way based on your belief. So I'll just jump in my friend, uh, ask you our very first question. What is creativity to you? Well, I'll start with a story because uh, I had quite a speaking career going for many years. And uh, part of that would often be interacting with young people. I also helped run support groups for young people in the Santa Fe schools and Española schools for a short period of time. And I always used to use this analogy that you wake up in the morning and you're lying in bed and you think you'd really like to have a chili cheese omelet. And um, so what starts out as a thought form uh, then with some action and some skills and maybe some help from your mom, 10 minutes later, you've taken what was just a thought form and you're eating your chili cheese omelet. So to me, creativity basically has three elements. One element is related to that, which is intentionality, how we take what's in our mind and manifest it into something that's tangible in the world. The second piece is sort of giving free reign to your imagination. And then the third piece I think you, you brought out in your first podcast, which is this whole idea of play, that uh, creativity isn't something that's a heavy weight on our shoulders, at least for me, it never works uh, uh, when I'm in that kind of a mindset or space. It's really about adding that element of play to intentionality and, and giving sort of free reign to our imagination. And for me, um, creativity in my own life has really has really shown up 
in, uh, in, in three major areas. Uh, the first is writing and speaking, and now that's sort of morphed into uh, podcasts. I'm on podcast 173 or 174, something like that, that I put out every week. Music, and then building stuff. So those are the, the three aspects for me in my life that, that creativity has, has been such a, a rewarding aspect of being alive. When you say building new stuff, what are you building? When I moved here more than 40 years ago from New York City, I, I moved here with the intent of building a passive solar adobe. And uh, I didn't know much about construction, but I learned fairly quickly and built my first uh, passive solar adobe. That's where my babies were, were born in that, in that house. And then unfortunately went through a divorce and ended up building another big, bigger solar adobe structure and then a couple of guest houses. And then I have always loved St. John and the Virgin Islands. So I decided I was gonna build a house down there. Uh, really crazy idea that. And uh, after surviving two hurricanes, I finally sold that. And then most recently I had a building project last summer building a magic house, what I call a magic house. It's a circular adobe structure uh, where we do poetry gatherings. So Melody, if you ever get to Santa Fe, we'll organize one around uh, around your appearance. <laughs> yeah, that sounds excellent. <laughs> that was incredibly excellent, uh, most excellent. So I, it, I, my mind just made this connection, uh, Victor. I hope we can segue into this just a little bit using your incredible three points about uh, creativity, inten intentionality. Uh, giving yourself free reign to just daydream and use your imagination, play. You've done so much incredible work in the world to help end violence. How would you take your principles of creativity and how have you, perhaps, even better question, to help people understand how to end this violence, how to just whew, stop, for God's sake, stop. Well, I mean, everyone would like to have the magic potion uh, or the wand that we could wave away all of it. And obviously it doesn't work that way. Uh, when I was heavily involved in, in working in violence prevention and teaching across the country about it, I always used the idea that there are four concentric circles, the circle of the self, the circle of the family, the circle of the community and the larger culture. Um, and that's what the first book, Pathways to Peace, is based on exploring what's possible within each of those circles. And the idea is, if you're working in that big cultural circle, trying to get reasonable gun laws passed, for example, it's very easy to get burned out. But you can always come back to the circle of the self and start looking at your own anger and stress. And are you spreading that around the living room at the end of the day while you're out doing great things for the world? So the idea to me was that that works as a great model because there's always something to be done in one of those four circles. And uh, when you get too burned out on the bigger, larger wheel that's more difficult to turn, then you can always drop back and, and spend some time working on yourself. And the problem in our world, of course, is that many people are not introspective, contemplative, don't have a spiritual practice that sustains them. And so that idea of personally evolving to work on your own shadow and your own stuff is absent for many people. And uh, until that happens, until that shift happens, you know, we're not, we're not going to create the kind of world that we want to create um, more sustainably. Of course, 
there's always bad news in the news and and we neglect the hundreds of thousands of kind actions of human beings that are occurring every day. So that's the other piece of remembering that. Um, if you wanna speak specifically about gun violence issues, one of the creative things that I was involved in doing was with funding from the Carter Center, which I secured, we started the first firearm mortality review team in the nation, looking specifically at gun deaths in young people under age 25. And we recruited a lifetime NRA member to be part of that team because he knew every, absolutely everything there was to know about guns. So we'd be reviewing a case and he'd say, that case was ruled as accidental. Supposedly it happened while this guy was cleaning his gun. No way, no way. That guy had a history of domestic. He was very, very useful on the team. So that was a creative way. And then we, we called it not even one not even one gun death in a young person is acceptable. And we started planting trees in a park every time we lost a young person uh, in New Mexico to gun violence. I was also part of a very creative effort where all those shoes were taken uh, to, this, to, the, to the capital, 30,000 plus at that time, uh, which was a silent march on gun for the prevention of gun violence. This is many, many years ago now, probably 20 years uh, when that creative uh, activity took place. Wow, it's phenomenal. Well, you've also done extraordinary work in the men's movement, meaning becoming uh, less, not less masculine, but less uh, forceful, I guess, in the world and have more respect for women and the femininity and more of an equality. Uh, what is your thinking and take on gun violence and, and the men's movement? Well, clearly, uh, I would not at this point, because I have not kept up on literature and uh, I only allow myself small portions of the, of the daily news in terms of the horrors that are out there mm -hmm. uh, for my own mental health. Uh, so I, I would not put myself up as any kind of an expert, but clearly all these young men have been alienated and angry with easy access, the three A's, alienated, angry, and easy access to lethal ways of hurting themselves or others. And, and that's just, uh, you know, that's just sort of the perfect storm. I'm surprised we don't have more of these uh, things happening uh, across the country. Of course, we have too many as it is. So I, again, I don't think there's any uh, magic potion that's gonna make all that go away, but clearly one of the goals of the men's movement has been to create more emotional fluency for men, meaning that they have a clue about what they're feeling inside emotionally, and they're able to express it to others and to themselves in ways that are not destructive. Um, so dealing with anger is, you know, 37 years of men's work. I've seen, we've had, we've had exercises where men were just raging at the violence that was done to them by their parents uh, or, or by other individuals in their lifetime. And so without being able to sort of touch the source of that and be able to touch our own fears, we're gonna just pass those on and put them out in the world in very negative ways. That's part of the male conditioning. I don't feel pain, I don't have any fear, but I'm allowed to express anger, what's often been called the male emotional funnel, uh, where we, we actually do feel the, the whole spectrum uh, or keyboard of human emotions, but society conditions us that the only allowable emotion for men is to funnel that down into some form of being angry or pissed off or irritated. In any case, I think until we deal with all three of those aspects, 
uh, I think the school shootings are not going to stop. I'm a gun owner, uh, and I, I uh, hunt elk with a muzzle loader with a buddy of mine. He does the shooting. I do the praying. We find the animal and do it in a respectful way. But I own guns, and I think that, you know, 95% of gun owners are totally behind reasonable ways to control the flow of guns. Things like serial numbers on guns that you can't easily remove so that if a gun is found in a crime, it can be traced. Things like universal background checks, things like everybody agrees on if you keep a gun in your house, it's your responsibility to have that gun properly stored uh, so that there's not unauthorized use by younger people. That's the first question I always ask when something like this happens. Now, this individual was old enough to purchase the guns himself, but in other cases, they got it from an uncle, they got it from somebody else in the family because that gun was not properly secured. So there's a lot of common sense stuff. I, 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 there's many gun owners also that would favor limiting how many rounds of, in a magazine you can put, which limits how much destructive power you can, you can engage in fairly quickly. At least you have to stop to change the magazine rather than having 30 plus or even more rounds uh, in a weapon that you can fire in, in, in seconds. Anyway, I don't know how much time we want to spend on all that, but those are some ideas that, that I think the average gun owner, as well as the majority of people in this country, are behind. How we get from A to B when we have a Congress that doesn't function because of gridlock and so on. If you're looking for something to do, if you, if you choose to own weapons, make sure you're trained so you know about safety issues with them and make sure they're properly stored so young people don't have unsupervised access to them. That's something everybody can do who, if, if they are in a place where they're a gun owner. The other thing that people can do is when, when my kids were in high school, we had a contract that, that we encouraged parents to sign um, that if, if our kids went to a party and noticed that their kids were getting totally stoned and drunk and throwing up and passing out, and we found out about it, that we would tell those parents. It's a similar kind of a setup. If we know that a kid is being bullied or being alienated it's our responsibility, I believe, as a community to not only communicate that to the teacher and the school personnel, but to the other parents who are in that system, who are, we're all in that kind of thing together. Anyway. Oh, it's beautiful. The responsibility, if you look at it closely, is just simply the ability to respond to things as they are. And what you're stating is this is, this is the way it is. And this is what we have to do. And we have to wrap our arms around it. So just for my own clarification, you start with self, and then you go to family, then you go to community in the, cir the circles, and then you go out to? The larger culture. Larger culture. Okay, great. The larger okay. cultural forces that are, that are out okay, there. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Melody. Yeah, thank you, Victor. Um, it was just an honor to listen to you talk about the breadth and depth of so many topics. And going back to these concentric circles. I know you, um, in your podcast, you mentioned, of course, starting with yourself and conscious communication, which I find is so important. And not so many people are consciously aware of this lack of communication with themselves and, um, and what is going on, which ties into the emotional fluency. Um, so I, I feel that that is a key component you're 
absolutely right to help empower people to end this cycle of violence because it does start with the self. So our, our second question is actually tied to creativity, and that is, what is healing to you? Well, um, the simplest way to define healing for me is healing is any change for the better. And that it always involves an integration of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of ourselves, the, the sort of four windows through which we perceive the world. Uh, and so when you do one thing, you know, I always use the example of you take a walk in the woods. Well, that's good for you physically. It kind of chills you out mentally. Uh, emotionally, it's going to calm you down in your mood and you connect to the great mystery. So it's a, it's a very simple practice that nurtures all four of those windows of who we are and is very healing in and of itself. I guess the other thing for me, uh, just to mention, is that, that uh, my mom died when I was 22. I was in my third year of medical school getting my GOD degree, and I watched the Western medical system completely fail my mother, not only on the level of dealing with uh, Hodgkin's disease, which had progressed to stage four, and they didn't know what to do with back in the 70s at that time, but also on the emotional level. This, these were the days when you didn't talk to the patient and tell them that they had cancer, if you can even imagine that because it was believed to completely demoralize them. And so it was all this sort of very patriarchal, father knows best. So the medical, so I learned early on the limitations of Western medicine in terms of its ability to heal. And as Patricia said, you know, in the podcast, uh, in, in your first podcast, when you were trading ideas around uh, how she's very grateful for all the good things in Western medicine. And I certainly see that every day, but we need to realize that's not the only system that's out there and that healing has to take uh, into account many other systems. So any change for the better is a form of healing. And, and those things that nurture uh, the, the various aspects of who we are uh, become essential. I always use the analogy also with my own daughters, both of whom who have had significant medical issues in their lives. Uh, is that it's sort of a, a, a bank account that when you do yoga, when you meditate, when you take a walk, when you eat good foods, you're, you're putting money, not money, but you're putting in, in healing energy into your own personal bank account or your well that you can then drink from uh, at various points when you need it. And so it makes sense. You may not you know, you may still be dealing with your chronic fatigue or this aspect of the paralysis that you experience. And those little actions are not going to all of a sudden make that all better, but they are definitely filling that well that you're going to continue to be able to drink from. Uh, what else to say about, uh, about healing? Well, again, I think a lot of the, uh, what I realized with the men's work was early on, we, we had a big focus on physical healing. The first, I remember the first conference we did exercise testing and nutritional recall and questionnaires about drug and alcohol use. And then uh, there, was, uh, there was an evening where I put a, a bunch of strips of paper in a hat and people had to pick a strip out and it was stuff like divorce, my relationship with my father, uh, my best friend. And it, it became so clear to me with that exercise that where the real juice and hunger was for men because of our conditioning was to be able to talk 
about stuff that's meaningful from the heart about our emotional lives and to get support for the healing required uh, for us to become emotionally fluent. Is that, excuse me, was that the birth of uh, Heart Songs? No, Heart Songs, heart songs kind of goes back to uh, combining creativity and healing in some ways. So I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with the hypnagogic and hypnopompic states of awareness and consciousness. So the hypnagogic state is when we are falling asleep. That state when you're not awake and you're not fully asleep. And the hypnopompic state is when we are entering into consciousness in the morning. And to me, uh, early on, like in my 30s, many, many years ago, I realized that those were important aspects of creating intention, affirmations, however, I wouldn't use that language back then of programming our biocomputers. But now that we're in the computer age, it's a term that people can relate to. Both of those are excellent ways and opportunities for us to tap into that creative and healing energy. So an easy way for people to experience the hypnagogic state is you're lying flat in bed. You just put your arm up 90 degrees uh, to your body. And as you fall asleep, your arm will drop because it will lose postural tone. And momentarily you will awaken to whatever images, ideas, pieces of information that are available from that hypnagogic state. I personally use the hypnagogic state a lot as I go to sleep. I just think about all the things I'm grateful for that happened during the day. And in the morning, that's where the heart songs came in. I decided that as I entered consciousness, I wanted to have no more than five little phrases that I felt more than thought the words out relating to things I really wanted in my life. Like I choose to live a long and healthy life. Uh, so that's where the idea of heart songs uh, emerged, that heart songs are those things that I, I now it's pretty automatic uh, that I do as I first enter consciousness. An easy one is, is to build on the Buddhist uh, principle of uh, Tonglen. So one of the things that often happens for me as I enter awareness in the morning is I breathe in appreciation and breathe out compassion. And so that happens during that hypnopompic elevator ride into being fully awake, if you will. Thank you so much for all that. Um, what a beautiful practice to tap into your creativity and gratefulness. Uh, Patricia and I, we do really subscribe to that as well. And it's so important to have that morning routine, but also the night routine. So th thank you for that. We actually wanted to dig a little deeper um, we recently started asking a third question on this podcast, and we'd love to hear your take on it, which is, what is the divine to you? So I have to first say that I'm a recovered Catholic. And by that, I mean that I believe that there was a lot of negative church baggage, along with some very good principles about how to live a good life. Being kind to other, forgive, being kind to others, forgiveness, um, having compassion for other people's suffering. So I like to think that I took the best of what that religion had to offer while discarding a lot of, frankly, what for me was garbage. I went through a period in my 20s after having a priest try and seduce me, 
where I couldn't even read any book that had the word God in it. I, I mean, literally, if I came upon the word God in a book, I put it down and rejected it. So I've had to have my own sort of source of um, evolution in terms of that. So the way that I frame it is that religion is an organizational journey towards connecting with the divine or the great mystery, whereas spirituality is an individual rather than an organizational approach to connecting with the divine or the great mystery, whatever term works for you. So I have a number of spiritual practices that I developed early on uh, in my life that uh, a simple one is fasting. I fast once a month, just water, sunrise to sunset, just to remind me to be grateful for everything that goes into uh, feeding this body from the people that grow the food to the trees that provide it to the people that transport it to how it gets in the grocery store and then in my shopping cart and then home and the power that runs the fridge that keeps it you know you get the point so just fasting uh once a once a day uh once a month for the whole day uh for many years now i started this practice in my 30s so 40 something years of doing that uh really is a way of uh grounding me in appreciation for one of the most basic things that we need in our life uh, second practice is to honor the transition of the seasons. And uh, many, many years ago, when my children were in their early teens, I started a practice of writing them a letter, my two daughters. So they get a winter solstice letter and they get a summer solstice letter. Just my reflections on what I think they might want to pay attention to in their lives. Uh, so that that becomes also a way of, uh, for me, of kind of being quiet on those days and having some reflective moments and, and sharing some things uh, with my daughters that, that are sort of core uh, and important. Um, the other practice that I'll just mention uh, uh, briefly is that of uh, journaling regularly. It's, it's to me, that is a spiritual practice of taking the time at least once a month uh, to check in with yourself and how is your own evolutionary journey going? Uh, how are, are you making progress? on the things that are important to you in your life, both externally and internally. So that's enough for now. I'm delighted to hear that you write your daughter's letters. Um, I have one letter from my father who's no longer with us. He started the letter by saying, Dear Patricia, I'm writing this letter because your mother said, I will psychologically damage you if I don't write you a letter. <laughs> <laughs> that's how he started it off i'm like thanks a lot dad but i still have it <laughs> well this for us has been a joy i'm going to breathe in appreciation for you victor thank you so much my pleasure my pleasure and uh, please keep at it it's uh it can get discouraging at times when you look at the numbers i know from my own podcast you know you send it out there to a thousand people in my case and maybe 10 percent will actually listen to it on a regular basis. So don't be discouraged. And you have a beautiful topic and you both are beautiful mm. souls and Thank you. a lot to share from what I heard mm. in that first podcast. So I encourage you to keep it up. Thank you. I don't look at numbers. <laughs> I well, let nobody do point, that. <laughs> yeah, you might get curious about it at some point. I mean, I, I don't I don't obsess about it, but I sort of get a report from Podbean on a regular basis mm -hmm. that tells mm -hmm. me that. 
Um, and the other thing I would mention is that if people are interested in learning more, they can go to myheartsongs.org, yes. yes. uh, mm -hmm. which is a, a website and everything on the website, all the books, uh, half a dozen or so books that are on there. Uh, podcasts are free. The books are all by donation. You're actually doing me a favor if you uh, just email me, tell me what you need, and I'm happy to send it to you, clear out my shed a little bit. Do you still have, is it Wisdom Words? It's an amazing uh, book. Well, I have Masculine Wisdom, and then the most recent book, there were, there are two books, uh, one called Cornerstones that came out with Hazelden, which is daily meditations for young men in recovery. And then I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Letters to a Young Man in Search of Himself, mm -hmm. uh, Old Guy's Best Wisdom about sexuality, relationships, uh, emotions, work, et cetera. Maybe There's it was 21 called, letters. Maybe it was World, World Words? It was this beautiful little- World book. Words, yeah. So, yes, and I yeah, used World it with World cancer World. patients. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful great. book. Yeah, World Words is still there. It's not in print, but I still have- well, probably a couple of hundred copies uh, in my garage. And it's daily meditation based on uh, concepts from around the world that don't easily translate into English. Well, I'm glad you still have some because I, I remember using that. You kindly donated, I think, 25. Uh, and uh, Happy to I do it again. Use them with cancer patients. They just love them. They're, they're, it, it's beautiful to just go, oh, my God, it opened to this incredible page. Look at this. It's just one of those things. You don't have to read it in progression. You can pick um, yeah. a daily inspiration. So thank you. Well, thank, thank you for using them in that way. That mm -hmm. makes me feel really good. 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 Take it away, Melody. Well, Victor, it was an absolute joy having you on our podcast. Thank you so much for spending the time with us and our listeners and for sharing your heart and insight. Again, to our listeners, Victor's website is myheartsongs.org, and we'll link all the information in the uh, description below. And so um, I guess we're going to sign off for now until next time. Um, thank you again, Victor, and have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much. And I, I always like to close with the words of Mother Teresa, who simply said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. We now move on to the flow portion of our podcast. In this segment, I am honored to read a poem sent in by Afaf Khalid titled The Things We Survive. The earth's abundance with its resilient ferocity, empty caves before we had to touch them, the howling of uncertainty in lands where we didn't belong, the elegance of weaponry fashioned with the finesse of a passionate architect. The graveyards of our buried ancestors next to our downed enemies. The gentrification of our depleted understanding. Countless sunsets that promise nothing more than a swift return. This day, ourselves. That piece was titled, The Things We Survive written by Afaf Khalid, 2022. Be sure to connect with Afaf at her blog, plutobloodandpaper.wordpress.com. 
Thank you so much, Afaf Khalid from Canada, for sending in your lovely piece. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Create to Heal podcast. We are so grateful for this journey and the time we've shared together. We invite you to send us your gems of joy. Please email us at pv at patriciavarga.com. My initials pv at patriciavarga.com. We look forward to connecting with you on our next Create to Heal episode. Thank you.